there are three major carbon sinks. There are more than three, but the three major ones are the atmosphere, the ocean, and the soil. And the atmosphere and the ocean are oversaturated, and the soil is undersaturated. There's an obvious thing we can do here that will help all of our potential for a future civilization. Let's clean that atmosphere, reduce the amount of carbon going into the ocean, and put it in the soil where we'll get more food, better water cycling, and a healthier, more biodiverse ecosystem at the same time. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, is Mother Earth resilient? Maybe with the help of some friends, and I'm talking to one of her friends today. Tim LaSalle with the Center for Regenerative Agriculture. Uh, I don't know, Tim, if you've been introduced that way before, but, I, but I've got the thinking about that. You know, we're all in there trying to say, well, our mother, Mother Earth, needs some help and things are kind of ragged out there. Fortunately, there are programs that are trying to address the issues that are trying to deal with uh, resiliency that we need to recover, trying to use the new term, not new anymore, perhaps, regenerative. And you've been involved with this, I'm tempted to say, even before it was fashionable. You've been in an area before we even were naming the area, and now you are involved in several things we're going to talk about today, including the fact you're co-founder of the Center for Regenerative Agriculture and Resilient Systems at Chico State, or some say California State University at Chico. I say Chico. But anyway, welcome, Tim. I'm really happy to visit with you. It's a delight to be with you again. It's been a few years we've, since we've had a chance to visit uh, Roger and visit about this really crucial topic. It's crucial for Earth. It's crucial for our own civilization. And it's crucial with regard for us to even have a prospect of having a society and food on the table for the future. So let's get into this because there's a lot of exciting new data we'd love to share and some thinking that I think is a repositioning of how we understand of how we work better with nature instead of trying to dissect and dominate her. Yeah, you know, Tim, we do have to just plunge in because I'm thinking that it has been a couple of years and people that look to my podcast, uh, they go to farmtotabletalk.com and you can find the indexing and sort back through there and find a few years ago in uh, January, I believe, that we had a conversation. The thing that strikes me, one, I really enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot then. The other is that attention to regenerative and sustainable and certainly climate change has just snowballed, if you will, which may be a kind of an unfortunate metaphor, uh, but it's, you know, it, it really has grown and grown and grown. You're in the middle of it, but your programs and the way you're approaching it in the middle of it. So first of all, why don't you explain kind of where you are and the programs that you're involved with, and then we'll get into what the challenges are and what the world needs to be doing, let alone farmers and consumers. You bet. Well, you know, uh, Roger, I, I really understood and traveling the world for so many decades in my life and being in China in the mid-early 80s, and India, those kinds of places, understanding population pressures and ecological degradation 
really didn't give us much of a future. And Dana Meadows out of MIT had written the books on limits to growth. And it kept causing me as an agriculturalist to rethink, are we doing things that build or destroy and degrade? And honestly, the scientific agriculture we were teaching, the high input, uh, lots of cultivation agriculture that we were taught, my father was taught, I was teaching, uh, literally degrades, literally destroys our future. And FAO has been really clear to say we have less than 60 years of topsoil left uh, at our current rates of soil loss and destruction. So that's alarming. And what's more alarming, of course, as we've been watching climate change, is the disruption of food production is happening and will continue to happen at greater rates. Thus, our very existence becomes very much uh, uh, threatened. The one thing is, is to get people to change and look at new paradigms, look at new ways of doing something is the challenge. We as humans get stuck in our old ways and what we know or what we succeeded at. And for a farmer to ask a farmer to make a change is to ask him or her to risk something they're succeeding at, hopefully they're succeeding, um, for something they have not been trained in and they don't have an education around and they don't have experience in. So many of us are not going to do that. And so we do need established research. We do need uh, farmers that are doing this as demonstration, as ambassadors to help farmers to it. And we need to show an economic return. So Dr. Cindy and Daly and I, both Cindy and I had the similar experiences, but we understood in organic work, it still wasn't enough to bring the system back robustly and, and rapidly. Organic still uses a lot of tillage in most of its cases and practices, and that still destroys soil and biology. And conventional ag still uses a lot of chemicals, which again, often will destroy biology, as will their tillage if they're tilling. So we uh, really went to work on trying to think in terms of creating a center for regenerative agriculture. I often say, Cindy Daly, drug me kicking and screaming back to a university. I really did not seek to go back into a system like that. So I get to stay on the periphery. But in co-founding this, we have a lot of faculty there at Chico engaged, and we now have 10 major research projects reaching from Arizona through Blythe on up to Chico and Northern State. And what we're doing is replicating this biologically enhanced uh, agricultural management system that Dr. David Johnson from New Mexico State had uncovered. And he's a micromolecular biologist with an ag background. He was in the engineering department, not being recognized for his work uh, in New Mexico. But when I learned about it, I said, whoa, we have to get you published. Let's replicate your research. So we're doing that. It looks like it keeps proving out. We're showing more soil organic carbon, organic matter, carbon, therefore climate mitigating uh, results at a much faster rate than what the general material that's published now claims. So Dr. Raton Lau out of Ohio State says we can get about a ton per hectare per year. And he's the esteemed, and I know him, but he's the esteemed world-renowned soil carbon expert. It looks like we're getting 10 tons, a magnitude higher. So 10 tons, of, going, 10 tons of what? I'm sure I've got that carbon, clear. Of carbon per hectare. So oh. what happens is your organic matter jumps and then the response in crop yield, 
And this is all at almost no cost because it's just re returning, bringing back the complex microbiome that the soil initially could have if it was a healthy soil or if it's been a poor soil that we can bring it up to healthy, hmm. like a healthy gut biome. But our tillage and our chemicals have created imbalance and dysfunction in that microbiological system. So this creates a functional soil system where all the pieces are working together with the root and the rhizosphere and the plants working with them. What a powerful uh, nature developed system that's more complex than we'll ever totally figure out, which is just fine. Let's figure out how to just support it like we're doing in our fields now uh, and getting other people to try as well. Now, do you, do you have a project, isn't it down around Wilcox, uh, Arizona? Yeah, in Wilcox, Arizona. It's on um, Howard Buffett's, one of his farms. And I, I worked with him and his project in Africa. And basically been a conventional Midwest conservation agriculturalist, in other words, a no-till farmer. And uh, he allowed me to do things in Africa because he knew farmers in Africa couldn't afford fertilizers. Right. So how do we move them into a non-fertilized, productive system. Uh, and we're, we're able to show that. And I really didn't know how much I was working with the biology and doing that until I met David and, and Johnson and we're doing his his work now. Well, the reason I was thinking, I've been down to Wilcox and in that area, a lot of it just looks, I mean, it looks like desert. I mean, I'm an Illinois farm boy myself. So I, I came from that territory where everything was flat and black and, and you know, deep and rich and had lots of organic matter in it. And you, you drive around Wilcox and you kind of look around and think, my goodness, how are they producing food out here? Uh, so, I, you know, and that's kind of the issue that I see when you try to, when you talk about regenerative agriculture, it's pretty hard to think of it in terms of one size fits all. Because, uh, you know, it looks, all the experience I've had in going farms, and I've been in like 49 states, and every single one of them is differently. You know, and and in some practices, they could say, well, here's the extension guidelines on doing whatever, uh, and you could follow them. But really, especially when it gets into soil health, it, it almost feels to me like you almost got to go out there and stand in the field and then start, you know, getting in and looking at the soil and, and practices that work in Wilcox, Arizona. I'd be surprised that they also are the same thing that works in Chico, California. Well, to a degree, um, there are differences. There are soil differences. There are uh, certainly climactic differences. Uh, there's no question. There, and there are soil health fertility differences. But here's some core things. When we're talking about the microbiome, um, this is like Gabe Brown says on his farm there in North Dakota, is that in fact, if you look at his neighbors, um, and one's organic and the other two are not, they're conventional, um, their soils are just not as healthy or as productive as his. And the difference isn't whether it's organic or whether it's, you know, conventional with all the chemicals. It has to do is what have they been doing to that soil. And I think actually, Roger, is that when we restore the soil functionality, bringing the a fungal dominant community back into the system, we're going to see a response no matter where you are. Now you're going to see maybe greater ones where the soil was more degraded. That's possible. We haven't been able to compare yet a deep Illinois soil, black deep soil with that desert soil in, in Wilcox. Uh, 
Now, yeah, we're seeing phenomenal responses in, in Wilcox, and we may not see as much in other systems. But having said that, uh, we know if you need, if you want to bring uh, free associating nitrogen fixers into a system, uh, you're going to start to get free nitrogen. This isn't a legume conversation. This is in the rhizosphere of non-legumes, where you can actually get production of nitrogen to be produced right there in the field. So those are the kinds of things that I think are going to be applicable to all soils. Um, the, I think the level result could be a little different in each soil. You know, um, I know you've been around in, in Wyoming, but up in the middle of Wyoming, you have some of the same ideas you do looking around Wilcox, Arizona, too. And it, it, it just kind of seemed like broad desert from what I'm used to. And mm -hmm. yet I've talked to an organic farmer up there who um, I saw some aerial pictures Mm -hmm. of of their acreage and it was you could just see it i mean it was darker richer soil right all around it was this light tan kind of desert looking stuff and part of what they built it back was compost and 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 manures and they built the organic matter back up into the soil and minimum tillage and, and everything else and it just looked different <laughs> you just it, it was just striking that you saw this, this it, big it is, of Wyoming. There is a great, uh, Roger, there's a great video on YouTube by Christine Jones. Uh, there's one that she calls quorum sensing, which is part of the bacterial conversation we're having or the microorganism conversation we're having here today. And I recommend it highly, but she shows pictures there of a dairy farmer. It was in New Zealand, I think it was, whose soil was just white sand. And in a year it turned dark black. Now, this is not hauling compost in, and this is the point of what we're doing with the biology. Once you get the root exudates feeding all that biology, you're starting to dump carbon into that soil. And it's all coming out of the atmosphere, being photosynthesized, turned into sugars and carbohydrates, and it feeds all of this life below ground. And when all of this life gets robust and it dies, it's all carbon-based. And as it you know, multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, that means more carbon is now below ground than above the surface, but it's a living cycling carbon and the plant can utilize the nutrients that they're giving off. And this is why it becomes so robust. So um, if you look at her video, it comes to say what that person did up there in the, in the North is tremendous, but there's not enough compost in the world to fix all the soil. Right. But there is enough photosynthesis and biology in the world to fix all the soil. So the there's a paradigm change. So the photosynthesis, obviously, starting with the, the solar energy, I, I get. But then you need biomass of some sort. If you're not using compost, don't you? the biomass is contributing to what's getting into the soil and cover crops and so forth? Sure it is. And, and that's part of this biologically enhanced Thing that David Johnson talks about. He says it's a whole system, which means cover crops in the off season to feed that biology and keep it alive. And then do your cash crop and then go back to cover crops. But just by inoculating the seed at, with this biome that you can create in your own backyard, if you go to our website at Center for Regenerative Ag at Chico State University, and then go to David Johnson or the bioreactor, you'll see and go into that and how you can make that in your own backyard. What's happening is we're building more and more biomass above ground just with the biology, mm -hmm. which then leaves you more residue. But we're also, as I just said, 
building more carbon below ground by all the exudates the plants feeding the organisms with. So without hauling in stuff, you're going to, through photosynthesis, build it, and you can build it pretty fast. So in our third year in Wilcox, all of a sudden, the organic matter has jumped. And we're, yes, we're using multi-species cover crops in the off-season, but, but he had been using cover crops, but he had seen no change in his organic matter over seven years. Now it's jumped. This biology has made it more robust. The complexity of the cover crop's important, but the dumping of the sugars and carbohydrates to feed that biology is what's making that whole system perform at a much higher level. And why he now has soil organic matter, he can feel the difference walking across his field, which he never could for seven years. All of a sudden, there it is. We didn't haul anything in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And, you know, earlier you were talking about, like, the difference between the systems. And then there's one that had been monocrop, uh, maybe more chemicals. And then you had organic that it, a whole lot of tillage has been the history of organic. Yeah. So if you weren't using chemicals, you were just plowing the heck out of everything and disking mm-hmm. it and cultivating it. Yeah. Actually, if it... Um, uh, I, I might not have wanted to leave the farm if it, if they had gotten rid of cultivators earlier because I I used to just hate cultivating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But my but my yeah. dad had an answer to that, and then that was a hoe. You can get out there and and that's right, that's and, right. You know and that one. I don't think yeah. I heard anything except me. It's probably good for me too. With what you're talking about, is part of your mission or a big part of your mission is sharing this good news and trying to get kind of a, apostles going um, all over the world doing similar now, things? This, this is so powerful, it looks like, in how much carbon it can capture. Uh, apostles are great, but we want co-researchers. Everybody should be trying it and do a side-by-side in your own backyard or in your own fields and, and, and explore with us and share the information. We have 71 countries following us, thousands of people around the world that are doing this now, starting their bioreactors. And, and we'd love to see this inoculation idea about getting the health of the system back in place, getting those seeds inoculated so when that root hair comes up, the organisms it needs to work with for a healthy life are already functionally there and they start to work the moment that root is born. And that's where the plant then knows it, it has, it's been signaled, here I am, I'm ready to work with you, and the plant starts to feed it. So that's, that's where you, you start right from the outset of that seed germinating, building the system. Uh, and that's just because you've returned a hole back to a broken, dysfunctional soil. You've returned a wholeness back to the way nature operates. If you go into a tropical rainforest, do they haul nitrogen fertilizer in there to make that forest green? Mm-hmm. No. That's a whole system producing all the nitrogen it needs. The air is 70-some percent nitrogen. There's enough nitrogen that's free. There's enough 40 to 50 years of phosphorus in all those soils. Get the mycorrhizae fungi and other fungi to de- demineralize it and bring it to your plant. You don't need to buy it. Now, I know fertilizer salesmen are not going to want to hear me say this, but from a climate standpoint, a soil health standpoint, try it. You know, as the farmers say, and as Gabe Brown says, I'd rather sign the back of the check than the front of the check. This is a way out from spending that kind of money. Uh, you don't have to buy those, those inputs in many cases or in most cases. And that's what we're uncovering. And do it with us. And 
you know, as I say, don't believe me, go, do, go try it. Find out for yourself. Now, you probably um, aren't going to go get a $400 bag of GMO uh, Roundup Ready corn to seed and inoculate it, would you? I mean, uh, yes, I would. You would. I didn't think it was going to work, but that's what we, I mean, I wouldn't buy the GMO seed if I could buy right. non-GMO seed just because why do I want to spend that money? But there's a um, lot of it out there. Oh, well, it, it was intentionally pushed to become the dominant market. Yeah. And of course, you know, from a, from a um, one company's financial incentive to do that, or two or three companies, I guess, at that time. But in fact, it's not to the farmer's benefit, it's to the chemical sale benefit. So I'm going to, if you buy this, I'm going to sure. sell you the Roundup, and if, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I would not have GMO seed, but in essence, that's what we used in, in uh, Wilcox because that's the seed they used. So and I thought, oh my God. This has BT in it. That's going to hurt the biology. I'm sure it does, but it didn't kill it all. It's still performing and doing well, even in that scenario. But in your own backyard, as our website explains, you just make it with kind of brown material to compost. That means leaves or old hay or, you know, wood chips or all of them together, manure, whatever you have to put in there that's fairly chemical free. Uh, and you make it aerobic. This is a, and it's no turn. You don't turn it. You keep it wet. After a couple of weeks, you add red worms and you keep it wet for 12 months. That's the challenge. What happens is in that last month, there's a bloom of the fungal communities and that's what you're looking for. But there's a whole metagenomic shift. In other words, there's a whole array of organisms that start to come into that system over time. And that's what you're looking for is that complexity. Sure. Um, all working together. There's no dominant this or that. This is not a bug in the jug where a salesman can go here, buy our product. There's six organisms in here that work well for X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. It's like many probiotics. I've taken them and I've never seen any difference. But take the whole thing, the whole array, and there are signaling processes that go on. There's quorum sensing processes that go on. And it's self-organizing. As David Johnson would say, this is a self-organizing system. So you plant corn, corn needs this array of organisms and it will signal and they'll show up because they're now present. And then next year you plant soybeans and they need this other kind of group of organisms. They're present. They'll show up for that. And it self organizes back and forth. But once we've extincted a lot of those organisms, then we need fertilizers because we don't have a way to, to support the plant well enough. It seems to me that this could be more easily done on small scale. Uh, uh, when I'm thinking of, of people that have several thousand acres, it's, it strikes me that the, to, to roll out this kind of a program over several thousand acres seems like that would be a challenge. Is that true? No, because uh, the, your point, which I didn't get to, I apologize, but was um, how do you inoculate the seed? Right. And, on large scale, I think it's the easiest way to do it. And that is, is if you have a, a no-till seeder that let's say has a fertilizer injector on it, wash that fertilizer out of that and um, take your mature 12-month aerobic bioreactor compost and take about a kilogram per acre and, and stir it up vigorously to shake the organisms loose. Uh, put a paint filter in there and strain it through and pour it in that injector. And then as you see, just spray that seed. So that's really simple on a large scale. Oh, that's okay. the easiest way to do it. So just when that root hair comes out, 
the organisms are right there, ready to go to work. So if you're in the backyard and you're going to have plenty of Virector product, you can just put in a bucket, mix your seed in, plant your seed if you're doing it by hand. If you have a row planter, yeah, you can, you know, a little push one, you can probably um, do the same thing, make a water slurry and spray it and then put it in your seeder and run it through if it's a small scale. So it can be done either way. One of the things for the average people thinking about this, that they're understanding that you are, are um, in this process, you're, in, you're improving the soil, you're, you're creating a healthy community. This sounds silly, but I don't know what that looks like. To a certain extent, I do, because I, I remember the days that I could go stick a spade in the ground and see earthworms, which is right. often talked about. I mean, people have a hard time, I think, like picturing what's healthy soil look like? How do you know, how do you know when you got it other than the impact it might have on your, on your crop? So it should be in a no-till environment with healthy biology and earthworms, et cetera, all in there. And it's going to come when you stop tilling and stop chemicalizing because that destroys all of that life. So when it's really healthy and all the living organisms are there, earthworms and, and the small insects and all this biology, and like the mycorrhizae that you mentioned, mycorrhizae has glomalin, which will glue particles of soil together, but there's lots of air spaces now. So water can infiltrate or soil can absorb it very rapidly. We could actually reduce a lot of the flash flood problems if all soil was healthy with these air spaces. Instead of getting a half an inch of percolation per hour, you could get 11 inches of percolation per hour, and you don't get 11-inch storms. You get 11 inches in a day in these terrible storms, but not in an hour. So what that also means is you're going to get better water percolation and with more carbon, more water retention, but your soil is going to be more crumbly, and you can pick it up and it'll fall apart easier. Um, by the same token, it'll have more structure. You could take a piece of it and put it in water and it won't melt, dissolve, like a compacted, tilled, chemicalized soil. And that's because of the biological structure of these little gluing pieces. So it does both. It both holds together with more integrity and doesn't erode in wind or, or rainstorms, but it also is more crumbly and, and easier for roots to penetrate and go into. Can you pull um, a sample out too and send it to somebody and have them? Yes, yes, you can. You can absolutely do that. And if you go on um, a lot of my talks, I'll show pictures where I've taken my own soil and put it in a, in a container of water with a wire mesh to hold it up. And I can show that my water has good aggregate, my water, my soil has good aggregation. It doesn't fall apart. Uh, and that's a simple test. Ray Archuleta on the web, uh, there's a lot of pictures of Ray or videos and, and he'll do the aggregation test. And if you look at that, you can do that in your own home to see is my soil, is it well aggregated? Which means it's biologically functional to a level because it's working. And one of the things is, Roger, someone says, how do you get earthworms back? I think all it takes is stop tilling and stop chemicalizing. And, and I know, I swear, if you go out to my field right now with no rain all summer, you're not going to find an earthworm. Right. But I put cover crops every winter. I don't till it. After the rain comes, I can put a spade in that soil and I'll come up with earthworms, not one, men. And it's sort of like add water in Presto. <laughs> it's because it's a living, functional soil, even though it goes dormant in this California summer. 
Can you take this approach and apply it to pastures? Uh, because, you know, two-thirds of agricultural land is not really crop production. A lot of it's, you know, grazing land. Does this, does this apply to pastures? Well, yeah. Uh, Dr. Delia Chico, she's, she runs the organic pasture-based dairy farm there. And in essence, we can go into her pasture, which always when she takes people out, she'll take them to the pasture, put a spade in that soil and come up with not just the earthworms, but this very crumbly soil, dark black. She's been planting diverse pasture mixes. That's irrigated pasture. And um, that now the quality of the forage has jumped to where she calls it rocket fuel for her cows because the yield has gone up tremendously on the cows that are in this pasture-based dairy as that healthy soil, more diverse um, pasture mixes come forward. In the California rangelands, it's another story because we don't have rain for six, eight months a year here. And a lot of it goes dormant and dry. So it's going to be slower. Uh, we are doing research, and, and Cindy Daly has on her farm, on, on some of the university farm and other ranches, some experiments of using the seed inoculant and planting cover crop seeds in the fall in that rangeland and trying to see what happens when you're now reintroducing the biology to the plant species mix and the yield and, and the forage change. And this is a way to inoculate with some forage and then let's see what species want to return and, and how does that soil begin to function better uh, since so much of it has been overgrazed. You know, basically all of California has been overgrazed over its history and it's changed the species mix uh, of what used to be on those rangelands. You know, Roger, as we know, there are three major carbon sinks. There are more than three, but the three major ones are the atmosphere, the ocean, and the soil. And the atmosphere and the ocean are oversaturated, and the soil is undersaturated. There's an obvious thing we can do here that will help all of our potential for a future civilization. Let's clean that atmosphere, reduce the amount of carbon going into the ocean, and put it in the soil where we'll get more food, better water cycling, and a healthier, more biodiverse ecosystem at the same time. I'm wondering about the correlation between the healthy soils and the healthy foods, because there's um, quite a bit of attention about nutrient density. And you keep hearing talk about um, saying that the nutrient level, nutrition levels that we have in many of our foods are not what they used to be, because the soils have been farmed out. Have you tracked that at all? You, you, you see it? Works. We have some, and we want to do more. Uh, it's hard to get money to do this research because we don't have a big chemical company or a big special interest company that's going to personally benefit. So to get this money, we're not state funded, of course, because they don't have extra money to be putting into colleges. People are not yet understanding how crucial this is, how important this is. But it's been easier for us to get money to do the basic farm carbon, healthy soil, farmer profit research than it has been to do the nutrient density study. And I've talked to big companies about it. And someone said, yeah, we'd like to know. And then they realized a lot of their processing, their processed foods, they're processing the nutrients out of it. <laughs> so they're going, huh, that doesn't work for us. But in essence, um, it looks like definitely there's correlations. In some of our current research projects in a few years, we'll have some data to be able to share. Uh, and it makes biological sense. And we know plants can get healthier. If the plants are healthier, that's because they have more nutrients in the stem and the leaf and in the fruit that they're producing. 
So we know that that food, you know, chances of 99% is going to be more nutrient dense. You're familiar with the real organic meth uh, programs and, you know, that they're drawing attention to the fact that there's a difference between f- foods that are produced in healthy soils versus in a, in a greenhouse in a substrate where they're just adding, you know, what they have to have. They have water and light and adding some of the nutrition to the plant. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering, do you get involved in those conversations at all? or you No, I don't. And I, I agree with them 100%. I don't get involved with them. And, and the reason is that, you know, I was CEO at Rodale, but um, and that was an evolution point for me. But I've evolved farther to know that for climate, we can't we can't spend time talking about one percent of the land which is the organic world we need to talk about the 99 percent of the land that we need to convert to a regenerative system and i've said to some of my dear organic friends who i love as i said you know in regenerative ag we're going to get rid of more chemicals than you can ever hope to because there's sort of this embattled stance on both sides with conventional and organic and they don't budge and and that's not helpful or or, or to anybody so what I'm, what we're really focused on is is to say, I'm glad Real Organics pushing back on where they've allowed hydroponics into the whole organic system. I think that's terrible. Personally, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Originally, organic was based on soil health. Bob Rodale and others had had a focus on that. It's lost its way as big companies have been involved in writing those new rules. Yeah. And I'm really sad to see the erosion of that uh, happen. Uh, but there it is. And um, we want to look at all food all around the world for all farmers, for all people eating it. Uh, we think it definitely is going to be healthier and their ecosystems are going to be healthier when we can show them how to do it cheaper. Um, they can make their own fertility in their own backyards with this bioreactor process. And we, th- we see higher yields over time very fast. You know, I see many rewards in this and, and certainly doing the right thing. And I can see how the, you know, Mother Earth is better off because of, of what you're doing. Farmers are better off. Farmers can feel good about what they're doing. They can actually, you know, there's just a lot of stories there. I'm wondering, though, does is there a way that this connects to the end consumer? Um, so many companies are starting to market their products claiming that they're sustainable and that their farmers are sustainable. And um, but it's a complicated story for the average consumer to absorb what you and I've been talking about today um, and measuring healthy soil and so forth. It's not easy for most people when they're pushing their grocery cart down the aisle and they're seeing sustainable on the, the product. Do you see the message of what you're doing here transitioning somehow to the consumer? Does it belong on food labels in some way? I think it should belong on food labels, but you know what? I, I don't even pay attention to any kind of sustainable labels because sustainable, that word's been so co-opted and there's no chance for sustainability left. We overshot it. We have to regenerate and build back. And so, yeah, if farms are regenerating, that's what we want to support. So if you're at a farmer's market and you can talk to your farmer, find out what kind of investments they're making, building the health of their soil and, and encourage others to do it. If they're at the grocery store, they can ask for it. I'll tell you, there's a lot of companies, and and I talked with Whole Foods about a year ago, and then they went ahead and had a whole day conference, and I got to open that in Austin, Texas, their headquarters. 
because they told me when I first talked to them, well, we're going to look at that. It's important, but we'll take a year. After they were done with that whole day and brought in other speakers too, they go, no, we're not going to take a year. This is important. But how many people shop at Whole Foods? That's such a small component of, of, of the consumers. So, and, and what companies are going to, because companies are talking about it now, and we, Cindy and I, worked with a couple of companies, some that we're not going to spend any more time with because they're just looking to greenwash. And, and that can happen too easily. So we need to try and hold our companies accountable. Um, I think probably there needs to be, that's why I want to see regeneration uh, in the agricultural world be monitored with soil probes, with ways to measure uh, increases in carbon. That means increases in life. It means less in the atmosphere, but also more biodiversity in the soil and health there. No practices, no like, well, our farmers do X, Y, and Z. Baloney. I don't even want to hear about that because they can be cheating. I want it monitored. And then, um, then I'd say put a label on. But there needs to be a third-party evaluator, I would argue, because I don't trust in capitalism being above board all the time. Wow. I tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about what you're doing. And I think there's going to be others listening to this that are equally excited. When remind them, uh, if people listen to this and they want to find out more information about the programs you're involved with, where do they go online? So if they go to the Center for Regenerative Agriculture, and that's at California State University, Chico, um, online, there's a website. It's an old style website, but there's like 250 landing pages on there. They can search through, read articles, look at research we're doing, learn about the bioreactor. How do they do this in their own backyard or on their own farms? Um, and begin the process of restoring the whole biological biome into the soil, the way nature functions and wants to function robustly. Um, and try it with us. We have pictures of farmers. That, that have their products that they had such great success, they just wanted to share, you know, in contrast to uh, other farmers and or right next door where they ran their own experiments. And, and we'd love to have farmers do it and share that and tell us what they've learned and share it with others. We had, we had uh, researchers in Belgium send us their results. We didn't even know they were doing it. Same thing, double the biomass on the cover crops with inoculation uh, compared to no inoculation. And so we've posted some of those things as we learn what others are doing with this. Uh, and so share, try it, um, you know, ask questions. There's, I guess there's Facebook pages where people are talking about this. And we have a site where you can register your bioreactor and offer what you're learning as you're going through the process and ask questions. Um, so let's create communities and, and let's get going. Well, Tim, just one final question that if we were going to meet again, say five years from now, and I'd say, Tim, what do you feel good about? What's happened in this last five years, which is really the next five years? What's your most optimistic picture that you can say, I feel good about what is this, you know, the 2027 or 2026? I feel good about where we've gotten. How does that differ from where we are today? What's that picture that you that gives you the most optimism about this area in the future? Well, that the adoption rate on farm picks up dramatically. 
and that we have enough science uh, to push back on the old paradigm and that uh, now more universities are researching it and teaching students to go out there in the world and become regenerative agriculturalists. Hungry people in Africa that are trying to farm on those poor, tired soils that I work with uh, now have healthy uh, water holding uh, fertile soils, that they have excess food, not food shortages. Those are the kinds of things I want to see. We could draw down all of our emissions if it all holds up to kind of the levels we're finding. If it's even half of what we're finding, we could draw down our excesses. And that's not to say don't reduce your carbon emissions. We have to. But in the, in the meantime, while we're doing that, let's start this and start drawing it down and building our ecosystems and our food production systems very rapidly. Well, I'm enthused about what you're doing. Keep up the good work. We're going to have other conversations uh, about this. I just want to thank you for being on Farm to Table Talk today. It's my pleasure, Roger, and thank you for your contribution in sharing thoughts, ideas, and perhaps all of us joining together to help create a better world for the future. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 